This is Space Time Series 25, Episode 121, for broadcast on the 11th of November 2022. Coming up on Space Time, NASA to continue with its Saki mission despite the software issues, searching for the Milky Way galaxy's original nucleus, and Russia launches a new missile tracking satellite as it continues its invasion of Ukraine. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. NASA has decided to go forward with its Psyche mission with a new launch window opening on October the 10th next year. Psyche missed its planned launch window this year because of ongoing mission software development and testing problems. The software for the spacecraft's guidance, navigation and control system was completed several months late, and engineers then ran into problems configuring the testbed simulations at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, which were needed to verify that all software functions were ready for launch. The delays triggered an internal review, looking at whether the mission would be able to resume once these issues were overcome, or whether it should all be simply aborted. The continuation termination review was informed by a project proposed mission replan and a separate independent review commissioned by NASA, which investigated the causes for the delay. That review board has yet to release its findings. Meanwhile, mission managers are continuing to complete testing of the spacecraft's flight software in preparations for the new launch date in 2023. The new flight profile is similar to the original one planned for August 2022, still using Mars as a gravity assist in 2026 to fling the spacecraft out into the asteroid belt and to its target, the asteroid Psyche. With an October 2023 launch date, the Psyche spacecraft will arrive at the asteroid 16 Psyche in August 2029 to perform 21 months of science research. NASA selected the Psyche mission in 2017 to investigate the previously unexplored metal-rich asteroid 16 Psyche. The asteroid was thought to represent the exposed differentiated core of a protoplanet which had somehow lost its mantle and crust. However, follow-up observations have now raised questions about that original hypothesis. Still, 16 Psyche is the largest and most massive M-type asteroid known. M-type asteroids contain higher concentrations of metal phases such as iron and nickel compared to other asteroids and are widely thought to be the source of iron meteorites. The 220-kilometre-wide Psyche asteroid contains a full 1% of the total mass of the entire main asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. Now, if it's not an exposed protoplanetary core, then 16 Psyche could be a differentiated asteroid that's undergone extensive ferrovulcanism, quite literally turning itself inside out. Another possibility is that this asteroid was disrupted and then gravitationally re-accreted into a mixture of metal and silicate. In that case, its parent body may well have been from the mesosiderite class of stony iron meteorites. Meanwhile, NASA is still assessing options for its Janus mission to explore twin binary asteroid systems that was originally scheduled to launch on the same SpaceX Falcon Heavy as Psyche. Another project, NASA's Deep Space Optical Communications Technology Demonstrator, testing high data rate laser communications, will still be integrated into the Psyche spacecraft and will continue as planned on the new launch date. 
this report from NASA TV. When I was a little kid, I thought I wanted to be an astronomer. And I took a geology class, and there was just something about having a rock in your hand, something you could hold and feel. I thought, you know, we have rocks from outer space. Maybe I'll study those. I study meteorites. I love meteorites. It's like an addiction for me because I love exploring the solar system through understanding these rocks and the places they come from. Life on Earth exists on two heat engines. One is the sun, but the other is the heat engine below our feet. And it drives the movement of the plates. It drove the differentiation of the planet. We've known for two centuries that our core was made of metal, but we haven't been able to explore it. We can't drill a hole that deep. We can't explore with any kind of submersible in the oceans. What we've been looking for for years is a metallic asteroid, something that's very dense. Psyche is an asteroid 200 kilometers across, thought to be metal rich. Psyche is our way to explore our own planet. We have meteorites fall to Earth. Some of them are little tiny pieces. Some of them are the size of cars. But compared to Psyche, they're just tiny little specks of dust. When I first started as a graduate student, we had never visited an asteroid, not any of them. Asteroids were points of light in the sky, and now they're real geologic places. They're places we can visit. More than the awe, more than the wonder, so we have this responsibility to do this right. And that's why this part is so important, what we're doing right now, designing these instruments, because that will determine whether we get the data that graduate students 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now will learn things about this asteroid that we can't even imagine today. It's the journey of a lifetime, and I didn't want to miss it. And in that report from NASA TV, we heard from NASA Psyche Mission Science Team co-investigator Tim McCoy, the curator in charge of the U.S. National Meteorite Collection at the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History. This is Space Time. Still to come, searching for the Milky Way galaxy's original nucleus, and SpaceX launches its most powerful operational rocket, the Falcon Heavy. All that and more still to come on Space Time. A team of astronomers have discovered what they believe to be the original nucleus of the Milky Way galaxy. Their findings, reported on the pre-press physics website archive.org, help support the idea that a nucleus of the Milky Way's original stars exists somewhere buried deep in the centre of our galaxy. To support their hypothesis, the study's authors searched through data from the European Space Agency's Gaia spacecraft, hunting for a population of extremely metal poor stars near the galactic centre. These stars would all have low metallicity because they were born before large amounts of higher metallicity stars existed. Astronomers regard all elements as metals other than hydrogen and helium, the primary elements created in the Big Bang 13.82 billion years ago. All the other elements in the universe were mostly produced in stars, either during their lives or when they died. And so, as more and more stars evolved in the universe, the amounts of metals they contained increased. 
The Milky Way galaxy is thought to have formed around 12.5 billion years ago, and so its earliest stars should be extremely metal poor. So, by focusing their search on stars composed mostly of hydrogen and helium, located towards the constellation Sagittarius, which is in the direction of the galactic centre, the study's authors were able to isolate a nucleus of around 2 million stars. Using computer algorithms to help them sift through the data, the scientists identified a cluster of around 18,000 stars near the centre of the galaxy, which have less than 3% metallicity compared to the stars further away. The authors then monitored the movement of these stars compared to surrounding stars and pinpointed the location of what should be the centre of the galactic disk. Their measurements suggest that this cluster makes up just 0.2% of the mass of the entire Milky Way galaxy. This is space-time. Still to come, SpaceX launches its most powerful operational rocket, the Falcon Heavy. The Kremlin launches a new missile tracking satellite as Russia continues its war against Ukraine. And later in the science report, a new study has found that poor sleep quality has been linked to an increased risk of glaucoma. All that and more still to come on Space Time. SpaceX has launched its most powerful currently operational rocket, the massive Falcon Heavy, carrying a highly classified US military payload. The Falcon Heavy launch vehicle is actually made up of three Falcon 9 core stage rockets. They're strapped side by side with a payload carrying second stage mounted on top of the center booster. The highly classified United States Space Force 44 mission took off from Space Launch Complex 39A at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Unlike previous Falcon Heavy missions, only the two outer Falcon 9 boosters returned to Earth, landing side-by-side side at Cape Canaveral's landing zones 1 and 2 in a spectacularly choreographed dance. However, for this mission, the central Falcon 9 core stage was made expendable. That's because it was required to use up all its fuel load to carry its classified payload into a 35,400-kilometer-high geostationary orbit. As well as the United States Space Force 44 payload, the mission also carried several small CubeSats and the Millennium Space System's Tetra-1 microsatellite. Meanwhile, SpaceX launched another 53 Starlink broadband internet satellites aboard a Falcon 9 rocket across the other side of the country at the Vandenberg Space Force Base in California. It was the 49th SpaceX launch this year, three quarters of which have been used to fly Starlink satellites. It was also the 65th overall Starlink mission so far. And once its payload was deployed, it meant that 3,558 Starlink satellites are now in orbit, much to the chagrin of astronomers who are finding them getting in the way of their important scientific research. The Kremlin has launched a new missile tracking satellite as it continues its invasion of Ukraine. The spacecraft was launched aboard a Soyuz 2-1B rocket from the Plesetsk Cosmodrome 800 kilometers north of Moscow. While Russia wouldn't provide any details of the new launch, the mission's trajectory suggests the payload must have been a Q-pole missile tracking satellite. These satellites use high-resolution infrared scanners to detect the hot rocket exhaust plumes of missile launches. They can then track the missiles through much of their flight in order to determine where they're likely to land. The spacecraft was placed in a Molnir orbit. 
These are highly elliptical orbits designed to increase a spacecraft's dwell time over a specific hemisphere. This is space time. And time now to take another brief look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. A new study warns that poor quality sleep, including too much or too little shut-eye, daytime sleepiness and snoring, are all linked to a heightened risk of developing glaucoma, which causes irreversible blindness. The findings, reported in the British Medical Journal, looked at data from more than 400,000 people across the UK who were aged between 40 and 69 when recruited and provided details of their sleep duration and quality. The participants were monitored for an average of 10 and a half years, during which time some 8,690 developed glaucoma. The authors found that sleeping for less than 7 hours or more than 9 hours duration was associated with an 8% heightened glaucoma risk, insomnia was associated with a 12% increased risk, snoring a 4% increased risk, and frequent daytime sleepiness a 20% increased risk. Although this type of study cannot prove cause and effect, the authors say the eye's internal pressure rises when we lie down and when our sleep hormones are behaving abnormally, which could explain the link. It's been revealed that 60% of plastics certified as home compostable did not in fact fully disintegrate in home compost bins. The authors first surveyed participants across the UK about how they felt about compostable and biodegradable plastics and then followed up with a request to dig through their bins to test what was hanging around. The researchers found that these plastics were tending not to break down in home compost conditions, leaving enormous amounts of plastic waste to end up in soils. The findings, reported in the journal Frontiers in Sustainability, show that most people are confused about the labels compostable and biodegradable, and that tends to lead to them incorrectly disposing of the items. Now, while we're on the subject of plastics, have you ever noticed how your non-stick cookware tends to wear thin over time? Scientists from the University of Newcastle and Flinders University have now been able to measure how millions of tiny plastic particles potentially come off during cooking and during the wash as non-stick pots and pans gradually lose their coating. The findings reported in the journal Science of the Total Environment show that just one surface crack in a Teflon-coated pan can release some 9,100 plastic particles. It's been revealed that despite his stories of Christmas ghosts, spontaneous human combustion and other scary and spooky tales, Charles Dickens was actually a sceptic of the supernatural. The revelations were on display at a new exhibition at the Charles Dickens Museum in London. Tim Menham from Australian Skeptic says Dickens was pragmatic, he knew what his readers liked and wrote to meet the popular culture of the time. Charles Dickens was, he was a writer in the 1800s. He was a highly successful writer, obviously, and he knew how to get people's interest. He wrote well, he, you know, he wrote, as the books were published in those days, they were serialised, so he kept people with their sort of cliffhanger endings of each chapter, etc., to make people come back and buy the next copy of the magazine they were published in. And he, he was very successful at doing that, and he understood what people were in 
interested in. So he covered a lot of different aspects of real criticism of society to more fun and adventure type things. And in his fun and adventure type things, he includes the paranormal aspects. And they said he had about 20 or so spooky stories mm. that he published. The most famous one is the uh, Christmas Carol with the, uh, the ghost of Christmas past, present and future. But he was able to separate his business world from his sceptical beliefs. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he, it might have seemed like he was sort of believing in, in the ghost stories and the, and the you know, he had a case, there's a case of spontaneous human combustion in one of his stories. But yeah, he, he was basically cynical, or sceptical, certainly, and an investigator. He and some of his mates used to go to haunted houses to see if the place really was haunted. He helped set up a scientifically based sort of ghost hunting association, which was sort of highly endorsed by sceptics, etc. Certainly, I think, by sceptics now. So he knew the difference between fiction and fact. I mean, he did go around and was looking to try and find any substantiation for hauntings, even though he wrote about them as if they were real. But he wasn't as convinced that in the real world they were that real. So, yeah, he was a skeptic of the supernatural. He was a successful writer, and he knew, like a lot of writers of horror stories, don't necessarily believe in the horror they're describing. He did much the same thing. So the believers in the supernatural and the paranormal can't quote Dickens as, as one of theirs. He's not, and far from it. That's Tim Mendham from Australian Skeptics. That's the show for now. Space Time is available every Monday, Wednesday and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favourite podcast download provider and from spacetimewithstuartgary.com. Space Time's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at StuartGary on Twitter, at SpacetimewithStuartGary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel. And on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 